we have a highly collaborative teaching partnership. <laughs> Here comes Eowyn. So I'll start and first welcome all of you to this five-day retreat together. Thank you very much for coming. I'm Leela Wheeler, also known as Kate Wheeler. This is Howie Cohn. This is Eowyn Alstrom. And the three of us will be um, leading you and guiding you these days and hoping to serve you as best we can, answer your questions, uh, teach you the tips and tricks of meditation, the Buddha's skill of happiness. Eowyn will lead uh, two sessions of yoga each day, which we'll explain more about, uh, especially in the morning. And um, Howie and I, how many times have we taught this together? Like four or something? This is the fourth one. But we've known each other for maybe an embarrassing number of years. I think we won't even, I don't, I'm afraid to even name the figure, but it might be 20, I think, more. Ah! (laughs) You didn't hear him, right? (laughs) Closer to 30, he said. Um, So Howie and I will be each presenting a little bit this evening, and I think, Eowyn, would you just like to say hello um, while you're here? Can I do that now? Are you ready? You want to wait? Hello. <laughs> I'm Eowyn. It's really nice to see you all. It's always a pleasure to... Um, it's always a pleasure. More than a pleasure, really, I would say an honor to work with folks who come on retreat. I've done a lot of meditation retreats myself, and mindful yoga has been extremely supportive of my practice, so it's really a joy to share that with you. Look forward to seeing you tomorrow. Thank you. you. Are you going to say something about how it's suitable for people? Uh huh. Okay, we can say we're we're a yes collaboration. I think is the word Leela used. Yeah. So uh, Howie's just prompting me to tell you all that. the kind of yoga we'll be practicing on this retreat is really gentle. It should be accessible to pretty much everybody. It's also important to know that you should just come to one of the two sessions. Please don't uh, come to both. And your groups will probably prevent you from coming to both anyway. But if you have the chance, please don't, so that there's enough space for everyone. Okay, so I will say some introductory words and then Howie will lead us in taking the refuges and precepts, which is a traditional um, sort of mental ritual or kind of undertaking that we enter, that we consider at the beginning of the retreat. And just as an introduction, I'd like to say that um, the mission statement or motto of IMS is that this is a place of um, refuge for all who seek release from the sufferings of mind and heart, something like that. And that really means everyone. 
So in this welcome, I want to sort of deeply acknowledge um, all of us in all our diverse forms, ages, our history, regardless of ability or age or ethnicity or color or gender or sexual orientation, um, all of that, that we are all welcome here and we are going through all of this together. And just as all people are welcome here, so are all the parts of ourselves and all experiences uh, that we may undergo through these days. And um, as those of us who've done meditation retreat know, um, there's a wide variety of experiences <laughs> that come on retreat. And for, of those of you for, who are new, can I just see a show of hands for people who are meditating for the first time here? Yay, welcome. So if this is your first time, you see that there's lots of you. You're not alone in being uh, new. And for people who have meditated often, it's, we also know that it's always as if it were the first time. That sense of beginner's mind is a very important part of the practice. It's almost like one of the ultimate attitudes that we can take. This course is entitled um, something like the Buddha's Way to, of Happiness. And he was called the Happy One. And really, he investigated life very deeply based on his experience and observation of the suffering in the world. And he undertook a sort of an internal and external quest to find relief from the sufferings of birth, old age, sickness, and death. So it was a very, very deep question that he was asking. And I think the question is the same question that all of us ask in our deep moments. You know, what is life and what is my place and what is the meaning of my actions and how can I be in greater harmony from day to day? Um, this kind of deep and existential question comes up in each of us, and maybe it takes a different form for you, but um, I kind of think everyone who's here probably is driven by some variant of this very essential wish or desire for peace or happiness or just understanding. The word happiness is actually a rather vague one, and it's been defined in various ways. We'll be talking about forms of happiness and varieties of happiness throughout the course. But without telling the sort of long story of the Buddha's quest for understanding, what he did discover was by investigating his own experience. I think that was his first great um, revolution was to look at the moment-to-moment -moment experience as the place to investigate um, how to live. And for me, it's tremendously moving, that turning to kind of inhabit and live with and be in what's happening uh, on a moment-to-moment -moment basis. I remember my first retreat. I, had, I felt no one had ever really given me permission to live my life in this very real and connected way, and that it seemed so clear that you know, this life experience, what you're feeling right now in this moment, is something that's going on all the time. And we so often miss it, like we're going somewhere else or we're trying to accomplish something or 
kind of trying to make it better or trying to get to the gas station or whatever it is. We're not really um, with ourselves. So that's really the most essential way of stating this training is that we accompany ourselves, that we live in our experience, and that this begins to show us something about life that we just all too often overlook. So working in harmony with our experience and developing an attitude of being connected, aware, and kind toward yourself and what you're undergoing. That's kind of a keyword for, um, for the retreat, this present moment of being. And it's just kind of like this open secret that this is the secret of life. The secret of life is you. Uh, the secret of life is you just as you are, just as you are right this moment. The French psychoanalyst Jacques Lacan would say that, um, you know, it's as if the secret of life is, I, you remember that, um, I guess this is also my age, the old Soviet Union was this huge geographic thing and the word, the letters USSR would be written so large in the background of, on the map that you wouldn't really see them, something like that, where you're looking instead at all the rivers and the little towns and the color of the thing and you don't really see the name of the basic country. That's a little bit like what this practice can teach us, that the secret of being, our true being, is hiding in plain sight. And that as we connect with this, um, all the skills that we develop to connect with ourselves more and more deeply start to show us what's hidden inside us, this beauty and capacity for love that uh, is innate in us starts to develop. The Buddha's teachings of ethics, concentration, and wisdom are all relevant to, there's sort of many micro skills that are relevant and useful and fun to know about how to really arrive in this present moment. And we'll be talking about those. We'll be undertaking the ethical precepts here together um, as a way of creating a safe society. We'll be consecrating our intention, you could say, with um, a sense of taking refuge or trusting this teaching or these practices, at least for the period of time that we're here, or trusting them enough to actually do them. But I just want to point you to that um, sort of heart's intuition that brought you here and invite you to remember it and honor it and bring it forward. We're here to sort of cook for five days. I'm talking about sort of our basic state of being. The retreat is actually designed in a certain way to strip away all the distractions and the busyness of life in order to leave behind as clearly as possible just this sense of basic being. And you'd think that maybe the best way to do this would be to go off and be by yourself in some cabin somewhere and just like be with yourself and the trees and the flowers and the water and that stuff. But it's actually really quite difficult to do this alone. So that's one reason why retreats are undertaken very often in groups is because we need constant encouragement and constant reminding and constant support from one another. And the schedule and the, you know, the nice food that's prepared for us and put out at certain times just so that we don't have to 
really even, I mean, we're all collaborating. Thank you all also for doing the jobs that help this keep the place going. But, you know, as the distractions are minimized, um, sometimes things come to the surface that are difficult. So it's as if we're all here cooking in a soup and you could imagine yourselves as all being like small potatoes and carrots and stuff in here, like making the flavor of the broth. Because we'll see that things like fear or vulnerability or anger or a desire to run away from here or to turn on your cell phone and check and see if you got any text messages from anyone or all of those things are going to come up. And the structure of the retreat really helps us stay with sort of what it feels like to be feeling these feelings. And that's uh, a very important thing about meditation is to be able to really feel and allow all of these experiences to come and go and flow through you in a little bit of a different way, not um, acting out on them, um, not being sort of pushed and pulled around by all the whims and wishes and um, desires. So when those sort of difficult moments or pressure points might come up for you in retreat in regard to, I had one friend whose main retreat uh, was, she was on a rather long retreat, and she said one of the main issues in her retreat was uh, watching one particular other person and the way that they ate, for example, (laughs) and her own like incredible like difficulty in observing the behavior of this one other person. Now, you might find that this happens for you, too. And um, so what we learn to do is actually feel it and not so much sort of believe it. Like, when I was a young student here, I remember thinking, this place cannot really call itself a Buddha center if it does not have a bird feeder. You know, like, what do they think they're doing if they don't have a bird feeder? And I became completely obsessed with this was a very important thing for the place to have. Well, now it does actually have one. But you, you might find yourself um, making plans like that. And as we start to really open our minds, you'll see that your mind will construct quite a lot of different things. What we hope is that the environment is good enough for us to be able to trust and be able to relax and that we will all behave with kindness and consideration toward each other so that we can trust in one another enough to open up our hearts. Um, There is no perfect person. A perfect person has never been born and never will be born, as um, Henry Miller said. And part of that sort of tolerance includes tolerating ourselves and tolerating the way that our mind works and learning to expand and include more and more of our experience here. And as we include more and more of our experience, we find ourselves becoming more and more gentle toward ourselves and toward others. So some ways of getting more out of your retreat here are, is to really be ready to open your heart to yourself as you go through all the... Uh, I've talked a lot about just now about sort of the challenging side of what it can be like to be on retreat, but also be willing to really savor the times when you just so appreciate the warmth of the sun on your cheek or the beauty of just being out here at this wonderful time of year, just opening your heart to notice whatever you're feeling, to slow down, let yourself slow down um, while you're here. And that will be a gradual process. It sort of feels like we arrive here with a 
sort of a great momentum from the almost terrible busyness of our life. And you sit on the cushion and the first day, it's like, how do we actually come to a stop, you know? Um, but slowing down your movements and paying attention and savoring the moments. Um, try to do a little bit less, um, even a sense of not doing so much within your meditation practice. The schedule makes a lot of decisions for us here, and it's great to kind of lean into that and allow the schedule to support you. Um, they discovered that decision-making exhausts the brain. So um, making fewer decisions about what you'll do in the day um, can be quite a wonderful sense of simplicity, just the bell rings, and I know that I either leave this room or come into this room or time to eat or do my job. And don't worry too much about whether it's working or whether you're doing it right. Um, it will be working, like even if you stay here and just be quiet for these days, you'll see that by the end of the time, you'll feel that you've given yourself a gift. These times of retreat are just truly, truly extraordinary. Um, something that to give this amount of time to yourself um, may be one of the best contributions you can make to yourself and to the people around you. Arnold Toynbee, the historian, said that people who've made the greatest contributions to the world are normally the ones who went away from their life for some period of time and then returned with their contribution. So Jesus and Mohammed and the Buddha, people whose words uh, still influence millions of people, um, are all people who went away and searched deeply inside themselves. So I won't talk much. There's the varieties of happiness that we'll talk about, the sense of um, a happiness that's deeper than mere seeking for pleasure, which is so deeply programmed into us. The French monk and thinker Matthew Ricard said, um, defined happiness as a deep sense of flourishing that arises from an exceptionally healthy mind. After he discarded a lot of other definitions. He went through all the philosophers and so on. I'm just going to repeat his, see, if it, see how it sounds for you. A deep sense of flourishing that arises from an exceptionally healthy mind. So it's something beyond just a particular feeling, a particular emotion or a mood. It's more like a state of being in which maybe it's not possible for us to change everything in the world to suit us or even to be better. Like we can't always make everything better, but we can change how we are with things and we change how we look at the world. to read a short um, piece by one of the people that writes into this wonderful magazine, The Sun, that expresses a little bit what the spirit of retreat is like. I've been in the garden for an hour now, sitting on a bench or crouched behind the Indian grass and Boltonia. My camera slung around my neck, 300 millimeter zoom fully extended and ready. I take picture after picture, hoping to get just one good image of the two monarch butterflies that flit around me. But the majority of the photos are a square of blue or a white haze. 
The best I can get is an orange blur in the bottom right corner. The monarchs twist and slide across the sky in double helix patterns like leaves caught in an updraft. Where'd they go? There they are, on the other side of the garden. I assume one is male, the other female, and he's trying to tire her out. A few weeks ago, I caught a butterfly couple that had landed in an iris, their abdomens stuck together like digits in a Chinese finger trap. But today, these two monarchs never connect. They split off and dive and then climb into the air, sometimes colliding with the other butterflies in the garden. It seems a restless life. I give up until after dinner, but when I return, I'm clumsy and lumbering, my finger on the shutter too slow. Finally, I set the camera down beside me on the bench and burn this moment into my brain. The warm air smelling of mint, the sun on my back, the summer flowers in full bloom about to go to seed. In this quiet, the monarchs come closer, then they land beside me. So that's a little bit the spirit of the retreat is letting go of trying to arrange and manipulate and capture and get the moment exactly right, but to settle back and settle in and kind of just settle down set, as this person set the camera aside and just see if you can naturally be. And the gift in this story is of the butterflies coming and sitting next to the person. You will see what your gift is from being able to settle into yourself like this. So uncovering and maybe disclosing your natural uh, state where you are able to be at peace with yourself and the world. So I'm about to pass over to Howie to offer the um, refuges and precepts, but just from my heart and from the many years of practice that I've done, I wish you all a wonderful retreat. I just came back from seven days of being quiet myself, and I did a retreat in Texas, and it just feels so... um, great to be able to serve you and try to hold you as you pass through these days together, these days of being quiet, of connecting and learning, of um, learning the tools that have been handed down from generation to generation for 2,500 years, still work on human beings today. So I really appreciate all of you and hope you have a fantastic retreat. Thanks for listening. I'm letting Leela's words etch into my being. Isn't that the word? Isn't that the word you used or something? Burn or etch. Burn or etch. Burn. <laughs> it's beautiful, though. Really beautiful. I mean, I'd like to. Um, well, I really just want to feel the the residue of what she just spoke about and that beautiful passage that reminds us of that the, um, that the whole purpose of, of our retreat here is to come into that uh, intimacy with life, that sense of immediacy, the only place right here, this room, the only place where life is, that everything else beyond this is imaginary. And... This, it's so easily missed while we're, as John Lennon put it, while we're busy making other plans. And so it's, uh, 
I think I'm so happy for all of you that uh, you've given yourself this gift of, uh, of the potential of flourishing and flourishing in your uh, feeling of, of being at home and being alive. And, uh, and it reminds me, or Lila's words remind me, hopefully will remind you that, uh, that we, we can flourish more than we are already. We are not, you know, there's all kinds of conversation about our set point, our happiness set point. But the teachings remind us that we are trainable, that we can turn our attention toward those things that actually arouse a greater sense of well-being and turn away from the things that keep leading us down the rabbit hole of of misery. So it's um, hopefully what you'll be offered here will, will give you that felt experience of of an enhanced sense of well-being, uh, but then ultimately to, to touch that sense of well-being that doesn't really depend on what's going on, just really how you meet life. And that's really, the, in my sense, the happiness of, of a Buddha is the happiness of, of, um, of not being so in contention with life, not, not fighting with it so much, learning to be in harmony with things. And that's a kind of novel idea in this world that's constantly obsessed with what's next and making things happen. And as Leela said, busyness. And uh, So what we do on a retreat is we experiment with, with a different uh, kind of, you could say a different kind of refuge. Because most of us, are seeking some kind of refuge, some sense of well-being. And unfortunately, most of us go to our, to our smartphones for refuge, go to the mall, go to the refrigerator, go to the imagined future, a lot into the, what my, one of my teachers called the graveyard of memory, even though it is wonderful to be able to think about the past. But very rarely do we, as a source of refuge, go to our, our own mind, to our own capacity to be awake and aware. So we experiment on a retreat by, by uh, choosing, rather than refuge in everything that we ordinarily take refuge, we take refuge here in something that's in three things, three refuges that have been taken by countless millions over the 2,500 years, as she mentioned, that have been, uh, everything that we will offer has been um, put into practice, and, the, and many have realized the fruits of what that practice was, and it was out of their compassion and their generosity, that the flow of love that comes from, from coming alive in a way, falling in love. It's out of compassion that then the teachings have been shared as a living, as a living transmission, always mind to mind, us, you know, just people to people. It's not just something that you find in books. It's always been carried by someone's direct experience. And you will also transmit uh, in your own way the quality of, of your own heart and mind. And you're already doing that. And um, hopefully you will you'll transmit more and more flourishing qualities. So these three refuges are the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And we can think of it in historical terms, taking refuge in this historical person, 
Siddhartha Gautama, who, who did this deep inquiry and realized the, the, um, the sense of freedom and a sense of well-being that was, uh, uh, that was non-reactive and uh, immaculate and open and heart-flowing. We can gain a lot of inspiration from the historical person called the Buddha. But the way that I like to think of taking refuge in the Buddha is taking refuge in the Buddha means or Buddha means awake. It means taking refuge in being awake to this moment. It's the difference between being lost, unaware, and being aware. So we try to exploit what is completely and utterly natural to us, which is to be awake. If I tell you right now, don't be awake. Don't be aware. You may notice immediately that what's primary, what's so natural, is this quality of of awareness. This quality of of aware presence. And when when you have this aware presence, you actually can feel it. You can feel the resonance in your body when there's aware presence. You can, your senses freshen, they open. You know what I'm talking about. So this is the, when you take refuge in the Buddha, you take refuge in this capacity to be awake and aware. So rather than take refuge in, in what's next, in tomorrow, in our imagination, take refuge in, in being awake to what's ever happening at any of the, our so-called doors of perception. What's happening in my body right now? What's happening? My, my hearing sounds, am I seeing, am I smelling? Am I noticing moods or am I thinking? It's whatever I'm awake to. This is taking um, refuge in the Buddha as being awake. And a Buddha, what does a Buddha know? The Buddha knows the second refuge, which is the Dharma. The Dharma is, what is it that I'm noticing right now? It's not just the awake part, but what I'm awake to. So I'm awake to the sense of of my body being kind of weary from having awakened at three something in the morning and flown across the country. And now I've reawakened in this beautiful hall that I've done so much of my own practice in. That always gladdens my heart. And so I feel a little bit weary, but also glad. Okay, this is the Dharma. This is the truth of what's happening right now. Delighted to be with you, looking forward to being together and uh, getting to know you a little more and seeing that amazing phenomena that we have had the benefit of seeing a lot of people coming in kind of clouded and contracted and then all of a sudden uh, shifting into um, being lighter, being at more at ease, kind of radiance, kind of uh, almost getting younger. So anyway, I'm excited about all that. So that's the Dharma. So we take refuge in the Buddha, being awake, to the Dharma, just how it is. And you don't have to know any more than this, any more than what's happening right now. What's the state of your heart or mind? What are you noticing? Now, traditionally, taking refuge in the Dharma is taking refuge and drawing inspiration and support from the from the teachings, the realizations of, of the Buddha, what he learned and then what he later taught, and using it as a, as a uh, kind of template for your own study to see, he talks about there being stress in our lives. So l- let's see in real time, as, as Leela said, 
Let's study ourselves in real time. Is this true? And what is it that causes us to be in a state of, of, of stress? What keeps us, what turns our physical difficulties in life into mental suffering? We can actually see that. So the teachings are offered to give us some, a way to support us to, to, uh, to study. But again, in the most immediate way, it's whatever it is that's happening. And that is the, that is the field of our study. It's nothing more than that. And it, it's ultimately the most ordinary thing that gets so easily overlooked, that open secret. And that means, of course, opening, giving space to what's happening here. And that may mean giving space to something. You may be experiencing a lot of fatigue or heaviness or boredom or any number of things. So our practice taking refuge in the Dharma is, oh, this is what boredom is like. This is what heaviness is like. This is what irritation is like. All of it becomes the, um, it becomes our path. Nothing that's getting in the way of anything, as long as you can notice it. So we talk about our mindfulness practice. We'll be training in mindfulness. We call it equal opportunity mindfulness. Because everything's equal if you can notice it. And so we take refuge in whatever it is. That's the Dharma. So last but not least, what Leela spoke about so beautifully, the, the amazing support that we uh, derive, that we, that we gain by practicing together, uh, taking refuge in the Sangha, the amazing act of generosity that you may not know that you've given, but you give so much by just your presence here just by showing up. And it's not because you're, you're now the greatest yogi in the world, uh, attaining great heights, but just your very presence increases the, the aliveness in, the, in this, this room, in this field of meditation. And you'll notice how, uh, you'll notice that feeling as the retreat goes on, what a support it is to look around and in a moment of doubt or forgetting why you were here and seeing someone sitting quietly and doing it and just help allow each allow the others to really carry you through this retreat and do and offer that to each other so we take refuge in the buddha we take refuge in the dharma we take refuge in the sangha traditionally the sangha refers to the it's called the Arya Sangha, the, that Sangha of that community of awakening, of awakened beings who have brought that living, their experience and their compassion, their generosity through the 2,500 years. And we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for their, for their practice. And we can draw inspiration from the fact that so many people have benefited from the very thing that we'll be doing here. So one of the ways that we, that we uh, ritualize or mark this as the beginning of the retreat, as, as a sign that we're entering into the stream of this particular kind of refuge as opposed to our normal refuge in distraction and busyness, is we chant them in the way that they've been chanted over the centuries. And we do it in the Pali language, which is close to the language that, uh, not exactly the same, but close to the language that the Buddha spoke in. And, and it has a certain kind of evocative quality. 
And just remember as you, as you uh, chant these refuges that it doesn't mean that you're, that you're joining a club or that you're um, joining a new religion. It's really about uh, the whole practice of the Buddha is about seeing for yourself what's true. And the Buddha, remember, is, was not a Buddhist. The Buddha was awake. And what we learn here is the teachings of the Buddha. The, this whole sense of Buddhism as a religion was really a, more of a colonial thing. It happened hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later. But really, there were the teachings of the Buddha, and people really benefited by them. So think of it that way, and, and then just experiment to see Commit yourself to see whether they bear fruit during this time. So I'll do this. Uh, we'll do this call and response. I'll chant a few words. You feed them back, and we'll go from there. And I'll do a brief introduction first. Hantamayam Buddharatana Satinayanja Karomase Namo Tassa. Your turn. Namo Tassa Bhagavato. Bhagavato, Arahato, Arahato, Sama Sambutasa, Sama Sambutasa, Namo Tassa, Namo Tassa, Bhagavato, Bhagavato, Arahato, Arahato, Sama Sambutasa, Sama Sambutasa, Namo Tassa, Namo Tassa, Bhagavato. Bhagavato, Arahato, Arahato, Sama Sambutasa, Sama Sambutasa, Buddham Saranam Gachami, Buddham Saranam Gachami, Dhamam Saranam Gachami, Dhamam Saranam Gachami, Sangam Saranam Gachami, Sangam saranam gachami dutiyampi dutiyampi budam saranam gachami budam saranam gachami dutiyampi dutiyampi dhamam saranam gachami dhamam saranam gachami dutiyampi Dutiampi Sangham Saranam Gachami Sangham Saranam Gachami Tatiampi Tatiampi Budam Saranam Gachami Budam Saranam Gachami Tatiampi Tatiampi Dhamam Saranam Gachami Dhamam Saranam Gachami Tatiampi Tatiampi Sangam Saranam Gachami Sangam Saranam Gachami I go to the Buddha for refuge, I go to the Dharma for refuge, I go to the Sangha for refuge three times. That's what you just said. That's Before we share the second uh, part of our entering into the retreat, talk about the, uh, 
ethical guidelines, the training guidelines for this retreat, and hopefully for our life, I'd like to invite you just to stretch your legs for a moment. Please stay in the room, but just do what you need to do to refresh yourself. You've been sitting for a while. And while you're at it, you might want to look around the room at at your sangha. Maybe even say hello to the person next door, because all you'll be seeing is their, are their socks and their Keens or Crocs or whatever they wear here. I'll just say, give a quick hello. And I think it's better to leave it as a. You will notice over the course of your time here that, that to stop or slow down and keep quiet and look within is a process of, of un, unwinding and unbinding. And you will notice that your, your defenses begin to, um, to drop away a little bit and you become naturally, as we are meant to be, uh, very sensitive, vulnerable beings, and you will be much more clear um, about the, your understanding that we are constantly impacting each other by our thoughts, our words, and our actions. And we are, we are meant to be sensitive to each other. And when we're sensitive, we naturally want to act in a sensitive way with each other. But because we are also conditioned to be a little bit unconscious, careless, We've developed some really strong habits of, of uh, wanting what we don't have and not wanting what we do have and uh, lots of restlessness. We, there's a lot that we don't see and we can sometimes act in ways that are, that are harmful, not necessarily intentionally. But in order to somehow protect the atmosphere here, knowing that we are all very sensitive and we're trying to create the conditions for the greatest sense of safety, we invite you to keep some basic training guidelines, some ethical guidelines while you're here. And hopefully these will, as I said before, they'll carry over into your life and they will become really a, a great source of, um, of generosity, a great source of, of goodwill and, and benefit to the people who have to live around you every day and, and of course to yourself as well. And we keep it to a very simple minimum of uh, 
not killing any living beings. But this really speaks about having reverence for every life form here, the, the insects, the animals, each other, that we're all uh, beings who uh, are vulnerable and uh, don't want to be harmed. We want to live and thrive. I think it's one of the things that unites all of us. So we commit to supporting that um, with each other. So not causing each other harm. That's the basic precept of not killing. But it also refers to not, not harming ourselves, not killing our own spirit, not, not attacking and blaming and criticizing ourselves. It's, being, it's uh, giving reverence to our own life form. I think you're, you're doing that just by being here and giving this gift to yourself of silence and, and nature, coming back to your own nature, but also to keep this active in your mind as a commitment of non-harming, of not killing. The second training guideline is to uh, respect the, um, the property of others, not to take anything that's not offered, not to steal. And to, as an expression of that, to practice a sense of contentment, to be content with what you have, and, uh, and also a deep respect to, to other people do not want their property taken, so being sensitive to the space, to the pillows, whatever it is, it, whatever that will mean to you, uh, to make that commitment not to steal. To um, undertake the training um, precept or guideline to refrain from sexual activity. It's one of those places in our lives that uh, can be a source of great uh, joy and connectedness, but it we can cause a lot of harm with sexuality. And we cause ourselves a lot of harm with the um, excessive dwelling in sexuality and often unconsciously uh, enter into other people's space out of greed, not necessarily out of connection. Well, here we limit all of that by inviting you to take whatever sexual energy comes and uh, just feel it. Don't act it out through fantasy. Don't act it out through trying to engage in any, with anyone. Just make completely the commitment to celibacy. And you'll find that, um, that it's a tremendous act of generosity to give uh, others the gift of solitude. Nobody wants to be, um, wants to, everyone here I think wants to have some time for themselves and not to have to deal with, um, with anyone seeking out um, any kind of contact. So we just make the commitment to celibacy. Doesn't mean that you won't feel sexual energy. It often arises in a very strong way on retreats as we're, re- we're recovering our vital energy here. It's very diminished in many of our lives from the, from the stress of our lives. So you'll, you'll get a little buildup maybe. But please just Use that as your practice. Use it as a, a way of, of harnessing that energy. Use it for the purpose of awakening. The traditional precept, next precept is the um, not causing harm with our speech. But if, on the retreat here, we essentially make the commitment to practice noble silence. Again, this practice of noble silence, keeping quiet, is probably the greatest act of generosity that you can offer to others here. 
And I think, I don't know if this was mentioned already, but if you came with someone on the retreat, the ideal way of, of dealing with, with the area of speech is to pretend that you don't know the person and to give them completely the gift of solitude because there, so much of our time we are connecting through the lens of our particular identities as partner, as friend, of, as, um, as parent, whatever it might be. Here we want to simply open to the immediacy of life, be able to just shed all of our identities. You can pick them up again when you leave, but to just be able to be fully here yourself. So please make that commitment to noble silence and offering that gift of, of solitude to the, to the other yogis. And believe me, it will be a gift to yourself too. Uh, it's, if you can, if you can uh, accommodate your own solitude, you will be that much easier to be around for other people. A lot less neediness. But be gentle with yourself about it but, because you'll notice the impulse to want to connect, reach out. This is a different kind of culture, and so we, you'll find that there's a lot of intimacy, though, in the silence. Last but not least, we, in our intention to awaken, to be, uh, to be alive, and to re- reclaim our heritage, our, that, those inner riches of wakefulness, of, of open-heartedness, of clarity, if we're committed to doing that, we also simultaneously commit to not clouding our perception with any intoxicants. So we refrain from taking any drugs, any alcohol, any kind of anything that can lead to uh, heedlessness or carelessness or unconsciousness. Of course, if you if you do have um, prescription drugs that um, that you've been instructed to take, it's not a time to to stop taking them. That's not what the precepts are all about, but precepts are any kind of recreational use of drugs or alcohol here to commit to clarity, commit, commit to, um, to clarity of, of action uh, that comes out of clarity of mind. So to refraining from intoxicants. So I think we can very briefly, or call and response, we'll, we will chant the precepts. I'll just repeat them once more. I undertake the precept to refrain from killing living beings. I undertake the precept to refrain from taking that which is not given. I undertake the precept to refrain from all sexual activity. I undertake the precept to refrain from false speech or or to keep noble silence. I undertake the precept to refrain from taking intoxicants which cloud the mind and cause heedlessness. So we'll do this also in Pali. Call and response. Panati pata, panati pata, vera mani, sikapadam, sikapadam, samadhyami, samadhyami, adinadana, adinadana, vera mani, vera mani, sikapadam, sikapadam, samadhyami, Samadhyami Abramacharya Abramacharya Veramani Veramani Sikapadam Sikapadam Samadhyami 
Samadhyami Musawada Musawada Veramani Veramani Sikapadam Sikapadam Samadhyami Samadhyami Sura Meraya Sura Meraya Maja Pamadatana Maja Pamadatana Veramani Veramani Sikapadam Sikapadam Samadhyami Samadhyami Idame Silam Idame Silam Magafala Magapala Nanasa Nanasa Pachayo Pachayo Hotu Hotu May this virtue of mine help bring about knowledge of the path and its fruit. Bring great happiness. So if you can forget everything you've heard up to this point and find your sitting body sitting here, put your mind attention in the same location as your body. See if your up if your posture can be just gently upright yet relaxed. You might even want to shift from side to side or front to back till you find that center point where you can let your body go. Let it be just the way it is. Let your eyes close softly. And you might just feel the soft touch of your eyes. Make sure that your eyes are relaxed. Because our noticing will be with our whole being, not with our eyes. And while you're in the vicinity of your face, let your face relax. This is a way of, in the felt sense, of relaxing our identities. Just letting yourself be. No need to hold anything together. And let your attention drift or sink down along with all the stresses that you brought here. Let them just drop to the floor. And while you're at the floor, feel the contact of your rear on the cushion or chair. It's that miraculous capacity to feel softness or the hardness pressure of our rear on the cushion. 
and feel the touch of your hands, the touch of your lips. Feel the field of sensations that gives the sense of your whole body, the shape. Feel its aliveness, its vibration or pulse. Feel the gentle stillness. And as a way of guiding your mind and body into a sense of harmony and calm abiding. Just let your attention rest on the the gentle movements that your body makes when it breathes. There's no need to intentionally breathe. You'll notice that your body breathes quite naturally by itself. Just feel those waves of the breath. Some short and some long, some rough, some smooth. No need to alter it. Just let the body breathe. And accompany the body's breath with your gentle yet intimate attention. Just start with this initial tool of mindfulness of breathing. Intimately feeling the in breath and the out breath. Just receiving the breath. And sinking into it as it emerges and is felt. One breath at a time. It's likely that after a few breaths, your attention may drift, may become lost in thought. At whatever point you realize that, that's a moment of being awake again. And on behalf of staying awake, we, for now, put our attention gently back into our body, connecting with the breath. Just this breath, just this moment.
Thank you for your practice already. Really a pleasure just to even sit with you a little bit. A lot more to come. Uh, just a reminder that, um, that what I offered just now is just the, the initial instruction of, of putting our mind in, in our body and our body in our mind. And we use as our initial tool the anchor of the, of the breathing. But this really just creates the foundation and the conditions to be able to ultimately notice everything. And our instructions over the retreat will expand to include all the other sensations in our body, our moods, our emotions, thoughts, images, sounds, until there's nothing that's part of your everyday experience, your inner, your outer experience that cannot be part of the field of mindfulness. But we start by developing uh, this sense of embodied presence and elaborate from there. And we do this both by uh, doing formal periods and informal periods, but formal periods of sitting and walking meditation, alternating, equal partners. And we'll elaborate on the instructions tomorrow. And another reminder that uh, the instructional sit, I think it's listed as that on the schedule. Yes, sitting with instruction. It's really important that, that uh, everyone comes to that uh, sitting, uh, the one after breakfast, that's when we both offer instructions, give you an opportunity to ask uh, questions, for us to give you some of the uh, news of the day, that things that we may be important for you to know for the day. And uh, not doesn't mean that's the only sitting. You should, you should come to all the sittings, but especially important uh, to show up at the instructional sit. And we'll, it'll all unfold from there. Uh, just wanted, I don't think I properly um, said how happy I am to be with Leela and Awen. Um, just to, I was just sitting and so happy to be able to share this time with her. And I, I think that you'll be able to pick up on our enjoyment of uh, hanging out together. And I hope uh, your uh, retreat experience is uh, really fruitful and uh, even joyous at times. And uh, just nice to be with you. Maybe you can... Have sweet dreams. Yes, nighty night, all of you. And we know many of you have come a long way and maybe you haven't really been able to unpack properly. And if you have a little bit of settling to do this evening, um, if anyone uh, has more energy, any night this hall is never locked. So if you want to have a cup of tea and come back and meditate even for 10 minutes, that's fine. But... Um, Basically, just stay with yourself as you walk to your room and settle yourself and go to sleep. You can begin the retreat to remain kind of in your body with the dance of being present um, all the way into sleep. So thanks so much and peaceful rest and good dreams and see you tomorrow. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.